how how do you go from $12 an hour, I'm renting out a few Airbnbs, okay, now I have enough money to buy a place, okay, now I'm retired. That seems like that, that happened in a pretty short span. This is the final call for me. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 341. The smallest house in the entire world, which is only one square meter, approximately 10 square feet, and located in Berlin, Germany, holds the record as being the smallest house to ever be listed on Airbnb, obviously, but it's also the cheapest listing ever in Europe at one euro a night. I think that's a pretty fair deal. One euro, one square meter. We have been huge proponents and huge users of Airbnb ever since it first rolled out. We've stayed in everything from an apartment in Manhattan to a farmhouse in Tuscany to a treehouse in Abud. We've been in Airbnbs all over the world. And the cool thing about every single one of those Airbnbs that I've been in is that every single time... I have traveled and stayed in an Airbnb. I have had a Tortuga backpack with me. That goes to show you how short of a time Airbnb has actually been around and been in the public consciousness that every single time I've been on Airbnb, I've had a Tortuga backpack. So if you're looking for the best travel backpack out there, whether you're going to the treehouse in Bali or whether you're going to the apartment in Manhattan or anywhere in between, check it out, tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use that promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off anything that you order. Speaking of no matter where you travel, one of the taglines for Bluffworks is wherever you roam. Get it? Wherever you roam. And it really is true. I have worn my Bluffworks chinos all over the world. I've worn them to hike up mountains. I've worn them to go to plays in London. I've worn them to weddings at castles in the countryside of the UK. Literally, I've worn them for every single experience that someone could possibly have. And that's what I love about my Bluffworks clothing. It's that it's so versatile. It never wrinkles. It's perfect for no matter where you want to travel. It really is wherever you roam. So if you're looking for the best travel clothing out there, check it out, bluffworks.com slash epop. You can also use the promo code epop. That'll get you 10% off any of their non-sale items. So bluffworks.com slash epop. Check it out. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who spends half her time in Boulder and half her time house-sitting around the world, who owns five properties, manages 15 others, and who thankfully enjoys nerding out about Airbnb as much as I do, Ziana McIntyre from ZianaMcIntyre.com. Ziana, thanks for joining me, and a huge welcome. Thanks. Um, I do have to say I own six properties now. Yeah. You got you to gotta <laughs> update your about page then. 
throw throw that. Did, oh, I, I must have done it right after because I just did it. Okay, That's cool. Funny. Well, right we're gonna get into sneaky. all that. All right, so you've got me beat now. You're you're two properties up. So by the end of this podcast, I have to go. While you're talking, I'm gonna go on Zillow or something and just two more purchases so we can be tied by the end. Um, probably give my wife a heart attack. But we've got <laughs> a uh, a two part podcast here, guys. In the first episode, the one you're listening to right now, we're gonna talk all about how and why Ziana decided to get into the short-term rental game, how you can make money from Airbnb, even if you don't own a property, what it's like to be a property manager, the pros, the cons, all that good stuff. We're going to dive into that. And also how you were able to craft the lifestyle that you wanted from this business that you're running. And then a second episode, which we're both excited about, we're really going to st- we're going to get really nerdy then. We're going to start diving into some of the nitty-gritty details about Airbnb at like a higher level, where we're going to talk about if you're thinking about buying a place for Airbnb, you know what are some things you can sh- you should consider. Sienna has six now, so she knows better than I do um, how to optimize your listings to make them rank higher, how to set your prices, bunch of other best practices. So we're doing all that through the lenses of the properties that I own too. So I'll be giving you, Ziana, full reign to rip apart my properties, tell me what I'm doing wrong, right? So we're going to give that to you. So you won't want to miss that second episode. That'll come out next week on the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. So lots of good stuff between the two shows here. But let's kick it off, Ziana, by starting at the beginning a bit. And obviously, you're a big fan of traveling and of location independence, which warms my heart. Was that always the case? Was that like ingrained at you at a young age? Or was there this aha moment of, okay, this is what I want my life to look like. How am I going to get there? Um, I've always loved travel. I was actually born in Jamaica and my family was kind of spread out and we moved to Hawaii when I was young. And so we traveled a lot just to see family because nobody lived in Hawaii. And so we had family in Puerto Rico. We had family in California. And we were just kind of like bopping around as kids. And so, yeah, I think from early on, I really was into that and wanted to explore more. Um, I think the thing about Airbnb is it really allows for that. and before I found that, I really had no idea how I was going to be able to work um, just kind of location independent. And um, I thought that would only be something that someone who's like a programmer could do. And I just held the vision that I really wanted to do it, but didn't know how. And it came together. So sometimes you got to just believe. Yeah, you thought it was someone who had tech skills. Uh, Before we hopped on here, I couldn't get Skype to work. So it was the old like, turn it off, unplug every cord plugged into the computer, put them back in, and then it worked. So you thought, all right, I don't have that type of skill. How am I going to make it work? Boom, this thing called Airbnb comes about into your life. And now there's an outlet for you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really was just like, I had that vision and I was holding it. And I kind of woke up to it one day that I had been doing Airbnb maybe already like six or eight months. And I was like, wait, I have it. I am doing it. This is it, you know? And it was such a weird like, whoa, I'm living my dreams moment. (laughs) And I've had a lot more of those since. But um, yeah, Airbnb is magical. What could I say? So you, okay, so you were doing it. That's interesting. You were doing what then would turn into your full-time thing, but you weren't even aware that that was going to be the path forward at that point. It was just like a hobby or a side business at that at that point where you had that realization? Yeah. When I started doing Airbnb, I was just in massage school and I had like transitioned from working like 
higher than minimum wage, but kind of just like a $12 an hour gig and um, going to school. And so I got this Airbnb hustle going and um, I just thought, okay, well, this is kind of cool for now. It keeps me from being able or having to work a regular job, but then I'm going to get my massage business going and I'm going to do that. And then like somewhere down the line, I realized like, wait, why am I going to like sign up to have to be at a physical location at a certain time and make less money per hour? I was like, nah. <laughs> so that didn't end up being the long-term gig, but it's it's surprising. Sometimes you don't know, you know where it's going to come from. Yeah, a lot of times yeah. it's it can be right in front of your face, but for whatever reason, and probably my guess would be at that point, you didn't, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, like you didn't know anyone who was doing Airbnb full time, or at least it wasn't certainly in your ecosystem. And so to you, it was never a thought, oh, this is going to be the thing that I'm going to do. Like maybe you saw the massage therapist. It was it was certainly something that probably was on the outer fringes of, of maybe your reality that someone could actually do it full time as opposed to just, yeah, this is like a fun little side thing that make, means I don't have to go work at some random job. Yeah. I mean, I started really early days on Airbnb. I heard about it in 2011 and they started in uh, 2008. And then I started doing it in 2012. And so it was that time that like I would tell people about it and nobody would know what I'm talking about. And so it was really just kind of like, I don't know, I'm going to just tinker with this thing. But I had no idea that they were going to blow up and be (laughs) like one of the main catchphrases for the industry. And at that time, it just... It wasn't very popular to hear about people doing vacation rental property management. So, yeah, I didn't really even know that was a thing. I knew about regular real estate agents and property managers, but it didn't have the same, like, sexy freedom appeal that this does. (laughs) So, yeah, I didn't really know. How did you even first start getting into Airbnb then? Because it was, I mean, that's a long time ago now. We're talking seven years. What was your introduction to the Airbnb world? Yeah. So I have a friend in New York, which is kind of like the hub of everything. You know, they hear about things first, even though it started in San Francisco. And so he had heard about it and he was at a point in his career that he just got laid off and he was burnt out. And he's like, you know, I can't afford this apartment, but I'm stuck in a lease. I think I'm going to just try this Airbnb thing and go travel and like see what happens after that. And so along the way, he kept telling me like, you got to do this. It's so cool. I'm making so much money. And again, I was in school and I just like, he's a longtime friend and very persistent. So I was just ignoring him. Um, (laughs) And then after a year, I can't believe I waited that long, but he told me I made $50,000 on my apartment. And they're like, this is an apartment he doesn't even own, you know? And I was making like $12 an hour to retail shop. And so $50,000 was like, it was a lot of money. It was like a full-time salary. I'd never seen that kind of money. And to me, it was just like, okay, I can't ignore this any longer, you know? It's always the numbers, right? Or at least for me, it <laughs> is too. Like someone will pest you, pest you, pest you. And then they tell you what is really behind it. Like, A, I made this much money or I've had this much success with this. And all of a sudden it makes your ears perk up. you like, okay. You've got my attention, like 50K, substantial amount of money for anyone at this point. Like now I'm listening to you. When did you know? So, okay, you had that and now you're like, I'm going to get into it. So you started getting into it and then you had your aha moment of, wait, I, I, I could maybe do this. This could maybe be the full-time thing that I'm going after. 
But when did you really know it was going to work? Like, when was there a point where you said, all right, I think this could be my full-time thing, and now you're like, no, this is what I do. Like, this is now my thing for real. I'm owning it. Yeah, that's so funny because I think some days I'm still like, is this working? Is this a thing? <laughs> so that was so you'll call me. You'll call me when you get there. <laughs> no, um, I think, gosh, for the first year and a half, I was sort of just like playing with it. And there was a point where um, I had like two apartments that I was living between and just kind of like. Uh, living out of a suitcase and just being like, okay, whatever books I'm going to, you know, stay at the other one. Or if they both book, I'm going to go stay at a friend's. And I knew that like the sacrifice was worth it. But once I got to that place of realizing like, wow, okay, all I have to do is just like keep getting one more. Like if I can buy a place, then I'll be like completely legit. Because at the time I was sort of renting and then re-renting, which people call master leasing now, but they do it with the owner knowing. And at the time I didn't ask the owner, I was just doing it and hoping I wouldn't get caught. So I was living in this like stress phase. Um, so I knew once I bought something, I would be like really in a, a legitimate space. So once I was able to purchase in 2014, I think I was like, okay, this is, this is real. And then I could see the, the kind of like steps ahead to buy more places. Where so. were you when you first started out with the properties, when you were jumping between properties and you were just renting and weren't owning yet? Was that in Boulder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, okay, so were you scared? Because then you bought, and but I, if I get this right, you didn't buy in Boulder, right? You bought somewhere else? I bought in Boulder first okay. because I lived here and that was kind of like what I knew. Um, but I think once I did a purchase, I sort of realized, like, I think that first purchase is like a huge hurdle for people They just like dream about it their whole lives and they're going to buy one house ever. And then it just seems like this huge mountain. And once you do it, you're like, oh, all right, I got it. You know? So then it gave me a lot more confidence to like buy the others. When you bought the place in your first place in Boulder, was that then just for Airbnb? Like, did you say, all right, I'm going to live in this and still rent out the other two? Like, what what was at that point your portfolio? Were you renting places and then renting them out on Airbnb and owning your place and doing that on Airbnb? Or did you actually live in your place? I just want people to get a feel for like what you were juggling at that point. Um, I was mostly living in that one, but I was doing the same thing. So I only had like two at a time. Um, and you know, I think now that, gosh, I could have just had like 20. Why didn't I do that? But I think I was just like really trying to be cautious. I was trying to do everything myself. So at first I was really like doing all the cleaning and like really all the communication. And it wasn't until I started getting the idea like, wow, I could make this a business. I could leverage this, that I started like letting go a little bit, like hiring cleaners and like getting software and doing all of that. So you decided to let go of the cleaning, and which is probably like the best thing to let yeah, go of you first. You do that right, right away. Right. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> right. As someone who was also in the beginning was cleaning like at least our own house, it's like, this this can't happen. This is not something <laughs> I want to do uh, going forward. So you let go of that and then you started getting some software. At what point did you then say, I want to start like I want to do this and be a mat like a property management service. So now I'm going to actually take over other people's properties and offer that service. Was that again a business decision that you planned out or was it something that 
kind of happened because a friend was like, oh, you should take over mine, take over mine? Or was it a little more systematic than that? Yeah. So that happened like two years ago. And I think it's just that my goals really changed. And I had a pesky friend, a different friend, but another pesky friend. Lots of pesky friends in your life. I know, but you know, they're good, I guess. It it works (laughs) out, right? Get me out of my own way. That's right. Yeah. Um, what happened for me is originally my whole goal was around this idea of like early retirement. So the fire movement has gotten really big recently. It's like a financial independence, retire early. And back then, again, it was still kind of small, but it was something I found out about and was super nerdy about. And I just like was doing everything I could to retire by 30. And so I actually got enough things together with my Airbnbs that I could like retire quotes, air quotes, you guys can't see, but I'm doing um, (laughs) by 28. And so I spent this time for like two years just basically managing some properties that were my own. And that was enough to live off of. And I, I was doing maybe five to eight hours of work a week. And I considered that retired. But somewhere around that like year and a half or two year mark, a friend of mine was like, yo, you're not even 30. You need to like have a life, like blow this thing up. You could have an empire. And it took me a little while to figure out if I wanted to do that. But as soon as I was kind of thinking about it, people started offering me like, hey, could you watch my place or manage it for me? And so I just started doing it. And like that first year, I got a huge amount of clients. So yeah, I think sometimes you set your mind to something and then the opportunities fall into place, you know? I know if I don't ask you this, everyone's going to be like, what? she just mentioned she retired, air quotes, but retired at 28 and you didn't follow up on that. And that's not the main push of this podcast. We're not going to talk totally about retiring her, but give us an idea, like a, a, a quick kind of brief overview of what that means. Because you said you went from you know a little bit above minimum wage job, a $12 an hour job to then all right, renting some stuff out on Airbnb. And if you feel comfortable sharing the numbers, that's always great because that helps people's ears perk up, like we mentioned. How how do you go from $12 an hour, I'm renting out a few Airbnbs. Okay, now I have enough money to buy a place. Okay, now I'm retired. That seems like that that happened in a pretty short span. Yeah. Um, you know, I was working towards it for a while. So I think... I don't exactly know the numbers. I learned about Mr. Money Mustache. So I'd say like anybody who's interested, go check out Mr. Money Mustache. He's a big blogger um, in that space. And I learned about him probably in 2011. And so I was just super geeking on that. And in previous times, I was interested in Susie Orman and different personal finance stuff. So I had this idea that I wanted to set myself up because neither of my parents were set up. And so I wanted to have like more freedom than they did and not struggle like I saw them do. And I just wanted a different life. So yeah, I studied all that stuff. And I think like there's two tenants, there's making a lot of money, but there's also just learning how to live like super frugal. And so I thought, okay, if I can make 2,500 a month and have a paid off house, that could be a retired situation. And so that was what I was working towards is just getting enough either in my bank account that could make 2,500 a month, or just have what it turned out to be for me, enough properties that were making that for me every month. So I didn't really have to do anything. Those five to eight hours were like talking to some guests, scheduling some cleans and doing my accounting. So like, yeah, I considered myself pretty much retired at that point. 
because I had a paid off one bedroom apartment in Boulder. So it was nothing fancy, you know, but then I also had another place and they were making enough money for me. Making 2,500 a month on Airbnb is like really easy. I hear about a lot of people retiring and traveling with just one place, which is unheard of in real estate. So that's why it's super exciting. And we are going to get all into all that. Some of that in the second show, maybe. But yes, there is plenty <laughs> and, and there is plenty of opportunity there, as as you mentioned. All right. So the, I just wanted to touch on that because I know a lot of people are like, wait a second. This is a great story. I like how you mentioned you said you had a one bedroom place. Again, a place that's paid off, though. Like, you know, if you have to go live somewhere, hey, I could take this back and live in here. I'm making X amount. It might not be a lavish lifestyle, but it's a, it's the lifestyle that I want and allows me to do the other things I want, whether that be not working or traveling or what have you. Then you decide, all right, I'm getting pestered enough. I'm going to turn this into a quote unquote empire, right? Um, what then have been the biggest obstacles for you as like a short term rental manager? What have you sat there and said like, oh man, I could have just sat back and not done this. This has been a bit difficult to now manage 15, 16 properties, some of them not your own as well. Yeah. I mean, first I would say it was easy to get overwhelmed because the friend that was talking me into it was like, really into marketing. And so he was telling me like, you got to build this brand and have the right colors and do your cool website and then have a logo and do all the social media. And it was like, I was literally going from five hours a week of just like riding my bike around town and hanging with friends and going to the park and cooking my own meals at home to like, oh, I'm going to be on the computer for like 30 hours a week. Like that just, it was, it was a rude awakening. And I think I also just didn't know how to organize very well. Like I was, I'm pretty organized in general, but when you work for yourself and at any given moment, you could be like writing a blog or like doing these emails or something, it's hard to know like what that workflow should be. So, I mean, even today I have to tell myself, okay, I'm only going to work four hours a day or I'm only going to, you know, I have to put boundaries because it's really easy for me to just do endless things. <laughs> yeah. Like create yeah. different logos or change the colors or all that stuff. I still don't have a logo, Right. Man. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, what's interesting, you're saying all that to me and I'm sitting there thinking like, all you're doing is, man, not all you're doing, I don't mean that way, but you're managing people's properties on a platform that already exists, right? On Airbnb or some other platform. You All you need, especially because you're sitting there saying, I don't need to do this, is 10, 15 properties be fine. What do you need to be fancy and, and like go out and say, here's my website for it? It really, I assume most of your stuff comes word of mouth, correct? It does. And like podcasts really help. So like I manage all over the country, but you know, at the time that I started managing, maybe there was one other person in town. Now when I search like Boulder property manager, I don't even come up. And so it's like, you know, if I wanted to be better about doing it in my hometown, yeah, there's ways that I can make my SEO better and have more of a like name, like, I don't know, some kind of host home or so, you know, there's, there's names that people make that are more searchable and clickable, but I just wanted to brand my own name just in case I ever want to do something else with it. So again, these are those things we were talking earlier, but it's like, there's so many crossroads in business that you can go one way or the other, and they're both kind of right, but later you go, maybe I should have done that other thing. Yeah, they're both yeah. right, and no one's there to tell you which to do because there's no one in your exact situation be like, oh, three years ago, I was sitting in your same spot, and here's what I did, right? And so 
and and they're both good options usually that's the thing you know you're probably happy doing either what okay so you mentioned you you all over the uh, country why did you decide to do that versus only stay in Boulder or something local where you could if need be run out to different properties cuz this is a kind of a internal debate i'm having with myself of branching out versus just staying hyper local um, obviously, there's pros and cons to each. So what, what made you decide, I'm going to manage more than just outside of Boulder and, and this Denver area? So what I'd say for you is if your area doesn't have laws specifically against it, I would just say hyper-local because it is so much easier if you can drive. Just like, there's a problem, I'm going to drive there. What happened for me is that the second place I bought was in St. Louis and the consecutive places after that were in St. Louis. So I was already pretty experienced with managing from afar that by the time people were messaging me from podcasts that were like, well, I'm in, uh, you know, South Africa. It's like, got it. We're going to do it. So for me, it was just almost the ease of like, this is coming in through my, my email box and that's how I'm working. I'm not out there doing any kind of marketing otherwise. So I guess you could call it just the laziness of it. It's like as things come through my email box, I'm like, yes, no, yes. <laughs> okay. So what made you yeah. decide to buy in St. Louis then? Because that would, I guess, be the first foray out of your local environment of, all right, I'm going to buy here, which is, are you from there? Like, was there any ties to St. Louis or that was just a complete business decision for you know, whatever return on investment that you could get for how much it costs to buy versus first Airbnb. Yeah. So in Boulder at the time that I bought, my apartment was 162,000, which again, I come from pretty like, I don't know, basic, simple means. And that was a lot of money. Like I was just like, wow, okay, this is a commitment. Um, but St. Louis is so much cheaper and so I didn't really understand that until I went and took a trip out there. And I have a friend from um, high school that lives out in St. Louis. And so she was getting married and invited me out. And so I remember her telling me like, oh, you know, it's cheap living here and my rent's cheap and it's great. But it wasn't until I was at the wedding and I was just chit-chatting with people and telling them I do Airbnb that they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we're thinking about doing it. Our friends do really well with it. And uh, our rents only, or our mortgage is only $300 a month. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm renting and re-renting apartments that are $1,200 a month for one bedroom. And they have a three-bedroom with a garage and a front yard and a backyard. And, you know, I was like, okay, that's like one or three nights of renting. Like, I don't even see how I could lose money, even if it wasn't as desirable as Boulder. So... I don't know. I went home and I thought about it for two weeks because I wanted to be responsible. And then two weeks later, I bought a place. <laughs> so, you know, it's like that little like period of thinking about it. <laughs> I think Sienna's going to be a bad influence on me um, because there are at least three people who listen to this podcast who have emailed me directly about the St. Louis real estate market. Uh, so I know you guys are listening. So I will get out there and I will check it out with you because and I don't know if it's St. Louis specifically or that area, but I don't know. I get a lot of emails from people in St. Louis saying, Trav, you you will not understand how cheap it is until you come out. And then they'll send me listening. I'm like, that's pretty cheap and pretty nice. So, all right. So you just decided this seems like a good deal. Mathematically, I, I don't see how I could lose here. Let me just let me just go for it. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, all four of the homes that I own in St. Louis are under a hundred thousand and they range from one bedroom homes to three bedroom homes. And they're all on like nice lots and good parts of town. So yeah, I mean, it is really affordable. And even though it's gone up a little bit since I bought, it's still, there's so many pockets. St. Louis has a lot of inventory and there's people constantly doing um, flips. And so you have all these like great new remodels that you can scoop up and they're ready to go. So yeah, I definitely think it's a great market. And I think there's enough conventions and schools and things drawing people there that even though it's not New York City, it's it's a pretty hip, cool place. Like there's a lot of stuff happening. So yeah, I love visiting there. And who knew? I, I never thought about it. Do, do you get out there quite like often now? Do, like, do you use that as an excuse? Oh, I got to go check all my properties. All right, time to go to St. Louis. I think I kind of wish that I did more. Okay. But realistically, I only go when I need to go. And that's about every year and a half. Okay. So it's not even that often. So you really are. I mean, it's it's completely remote now at this for for st louis for the most part yeah yeah it always has been yeah awesome what does your day-to-day look like is it mostly for you spent on the management side of those 15 16 places that you manage is it keeping up with the places that you own is it some mishmash of in between is it looking at new places like what is what are you focused on at this point yeah people always ask me about my day-to-day and like what I love about the business is that every day is different but the crazy thing is that I just feel like it can be a whole range of things you know I can be talking to different handymen I can be going and sweeping a deck getting ready for a guest you know I can be writing blogs which people don't have to do but I do that um you know, I can be doing different accounting things. There's there's so many things to do. At this point, I've outsourced most of the operations. I have like a part-time person that helps me with that. And then all of my communications with guests, um, I have receptionists for that. So I've tried to like outsource as much as I can do. Like I don't clean, I don't schedule, I don't hire and train. So for me, I'm trying to get back to that place of like, could I just work eight hours a week and still make like more money? Because that was the draw for me that when I was going to take on this like empire quest, um, I decided like, okay, well, maybe I could be retired in a couple years, but have money because I was just doing the like real frugal thing. And that was cool. But like, could I eat out any day that I wanted? You know, I'm, I'm not crazy, but I'm still like wanting to do more things than I did before. So that was sort of the goal there. Yeah, like, and I think that's interesting because you saw what life was like at 2,500 a month, right? And you're like, I could do this for, for you know, indefinitely and, and probably for a little while. But as you get older, maybe as you want nicer things or what have you, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I was in the same boat. For me, it was like, I want to make $3,000 a month, location independent, and then I could do whatever I want. And then you're like, no, okay, that that would work in a pinch, but now I want to do more. I want to do more. And I think it's also a challenge, right? You you get to a point where you're like, all right, I, I maybe could do this fairly easily, but what's the challenge? And sometimes for better or worse, money is that thing that then shows you that you're meeting some challenges as well. You're like, okay, I'm doing a better job or I'm doing it on a bigger scale, which, which is fine. Um, what is the least glamorous side to all of it? 
Hmm. I mean, I think you were talking about challenges earlier. And I'd say like one of the challenges is that the way I decided to do management is to like help people with their homes. And in Boulder, people have to live in their homes a certain amount of time. And so it it has to be a primary residence. It can't just be a full-time vacation rental. And so it's dealing with the owners because it's their personal home and it's their furniture. And they know if there's some weird discoloration or like something going on that like I might not notice or a cleaner might not notice. And so the like stress of that ends up being something that is not very glamorous. Um, We just had an issue with some water damage in a $2 million house. And it was like the whole time I was stressed out about that house because it's so beautiful and so expensive. And at the same time, you know, there's so many different things that could go wrong. There's so many whites of the furniture and all of the like, you know, delicate things. So yeah, I, I would do it a different way if I was to do it again. Knowing what you know, since you've been in it now with Airbnb for seven years and, and managing for four or so, would you start a short-term rental management company? Like, would If you could bring yourself back to that beginning and say, all right, here are the options ahead of you, would that be something you're still like, yeah, this is, this is still a pretty good gig. Of course, I figured it out more, but this is something that I really genuinely enjoy. Yeah. So what I would do differently, and I was telling you, I just come back from a conference. So, you know, it was got, I got to like talk to a lot of people and hear how different managers are doing their business. Um, I see that there's like three different ways to do Airbnb. There's the like buy your own property and rent it out. There's the manage someone else's property for them. And then there's the rent a place in a legitimate way as a master leaser and then re-rent it out. So for me, I would just say do that a lot. I would still buy homes because I'm kind of addicted to it now and I love it. Um, And I've gotten really lucky with equity, which doesn't happen for everyone. Um, But the whole like renting and re-renting thing, A, like you don't have a lot of structural damage ever to Airbnbs. It's always just like the furniture that takes a beating. And so if it's your furniture that you bought on Craigslist, you don't care the same as like an owner does, you know? So I think that's like the best way to go. Plus, people were telling me that, like, instead of making 20%, which is what most managers charge, you can make, like, 60%, you know, and still have an owner that's, like, super happy because you're guaranteeing rent and maybe have a long lease with them and whatnot. So it kind of feels like an extension of your own property. And I think that's, like, the best way to go. I have uh, a buddy of mine who lives in the Philly area who, um, who does a lot of like they do a lot of property development actually just rented out a brand new eight unit building all one bedrooms to a master lease company i'm not sander or something like that um and yeah they just came in they're like we'll guarantee you this rent so for his side he's like cool that's what i would have got rent from a regular person but i would have had eight tenants right or eight people on leases for eight properties they're like we'll rent all eight units for i think it was like a three-year lease and that's what they do they're essentially saying, all right, we'll obviously pay X amount per month, but anything above that we keep as as that. And then, of course, I guess if you're good at it, you know, you can make well above that. So, all right. So you would go with that hybrid. Yeah. Like you would you would maybe still own properties because there's that's a whole nother side of like, you know, property investment, real estate investment. But if you were saying, hey, someone might want to start out, it might be that master lease thing that you see as as the best kind of best of both worlds at that point. 
Yeah. I mean, the only way I would recommend doing like managing a person's property is saying that you had no money, you know, you had no money and you had just a little bit of experience managing your own place, like test it out on yourself before you take it on the road, please people. Um, but like, if you have no money, then you can easily manage someone else's home and make 20% and have no investment. So that's awesome. But if you have a little bit of money, you know, you still have to have security deposit, first month's rent and furniture money, but you could probably do it pretty cheap. When I first did my my very first place, my dad lent me like $4,000 and I just bootstrapped it and made it work. Looking back, I could have furnished it nicer or whatever, but I made it work and it made money for me. So, you know, I think if you have anywhere close to like, you know, eight, ten thousand $10,000, you could get one place and go. For me to buy something, even in St. Louis where it's super cheap, you know, I'm still looking at like $30,000 of a down payment or something like that, you know, closing costs and then furniture. So it's, yeah, it's a great way to go. And then it, it makes really good returns. Yeah. And with owning it too, then you're on the hook if like, all right, if you get a, have to put a new roof on or something, all right, let's, let's put that in. Whereas if you're just renting someone else's property out, I mean, they're, yeah, they're on the hook for that. You're just dealing with the Airbnb and the guests and all that kind of stuff. All right, cool. I like that. Yeah, because the question that I wanted to ask is if someone was looking to get into this, but they didn't have money, they didn't have enough money to buy their own property, um, that would be kind of this in-between. Like if you have a, a little bit of a nest egg to get going, master lease it, obviously with the uh, with the host permit or the uh owner's permission, not like uh, Ziana did when she was living in stress world for like two years. Are they going to find out? But okay. And 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 that's a pretty common thing now, right? The, the master leasing and, and certainly getting even more common. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I really think you could do it super easily. You know, you could have just kind of like a an email that's a template and you blast it off to a bunch of people because yeah, maybe one or two people won't say yes, but eventually you'll get a yes. And so, you know, make it pretty low work. But yeah, I think a three-year lease is a great way to go. You can guarantee rent in increases like 3% every year that they it's automatic. Um, you can carry your own um, like management insurance, which companies are offering now. If you call around, I can also give some, some names. Um, so things like that, where you're just saying, Hey, you know, we're going to take really good care of your property. It gets cleaned every three to five days. Like we're really watching it. Um, you could, some people even work out that they're going to do some of the small maintenance, like, you know, toilet or, or any kind of leaky faucet, but I probably wouldn't lead with that because <laughs> don't overpromise if you don't have to. Um, but yeah, I think it makes a pretty, pretty sweet deal for landlords. What would you say? would be the ideal if someone's starting out and they're saying, all right, I want to do this as a side hustle to start. But ultimately, like what you're saying, Ziana, is uh, is pretty cool. And like, I would like that to be my life. Maybe I have a, I become a management service. How many would they need? Like, what's a good number to have to know if you want to continue to do it and get bigger? Like, you is one enough to say, all right, I like this. I'm going to go. I'm going to really give a go of it. What is, or have you found like, all right, maybe you should add two or three on because then you see that there's a lot more that can go on with multiple properties. Yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely people out there that live off of one property, but I think there's like all the eggs in one basket problem, you know, like if anything happens, the laws change or whatever, 
or, you know, some kind of water damage and then you can't rent for a few months. I mean, yeah, I, it's good to diversify and have to spread out a little bit. So I always kind of tell people that I think three to five is like a really, really manageable space because even at that point, you don't necessarily even need software. I mean, definitely if you want to get to that point where you're listed on a bunch of different websites instead of just Airbnb um, and you want, you know, more automation so you, it can schedule cleaners for you and you could have receptionists. And yes, you need to have more than just one or two properties because they won't even take you at that small of a, an amount. Um, but yeah, I think that you could do it at a very small amount because even as a manager at 20% per property, I'm probably making at least 500 to a thousand per property compared to someone who's a long-term property manager and they're only making 10%, they might make 300 bucks. You know what I mean? So you need a lot of properties, but if you're doing it rent to rent, I mean, you could make like 2,500 on one property a month. Or more. Some people do even more. So, yeah, I think that you don't need a lot, which is really cool. Yeah. How does your life change? Because one of the things that you love to do is travel. And you're talking about doing it remotely, but you're in Boulder and you have some place in Boulder. And then you've got the St. Louis stuff. And then you've got that South Africa one, maybe, right? So, how does your life change when you're house sitting or traveling around the world versus when you're kind of bunked down in Boulder and running your business? Or does it not change? really at all? Have you got a system down that you're like, I could be anywhere and it's it's pretty much the same? I feel like in Boulder, I'm more like inclined to work. Like I have an office in my house and like my friends are busy all day. So like, okay, I'm going to get stuff done. When I'm in other places, I also think there's something like energetic about it. But like if I'm in Hawaii, it's like Ain't nobody working hard there. So it's hard for me to like really focus. Um, so that's the, probably the biggest difference. But honestly, I think the world that we're in today, it's like you have an internet connection, you have your phone, you can be reached all the time. It's kind of exactly the same. Um, I do more, um, you know, running around to properties when I'm in Boulder and I don't need to, but it's easier sometimes for me to just do it than to schedule somebody to do it. So yeah. I I found that too, that it's almost a blessing to be away because then when something happens, all right, guess what? I can't drive down to Philadelphia and go fix this problem. Someone else has to handle it. So it's nice. Like I'm away and I can't deal with it. And so you almost relieve that stress too, because you're like, I'm I'm not here. So sometimes I feel being away actually makes it easier because then I have to I have to figure out someone else to do it. And it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? Like, all right, just fix this. They come back, they send me a text like that's fixed. Cool. And then you're good to go. So in, in a weird way, I find it a little bit easier to sometimes do it when I'm traveling than when I'm at home because you don't put that stress on yourself. So there you guys have it. That's part one of my interview with Ziana. And the goal here was to give you a general overview of the options that Airbnb give you as a host and the ways that you can utilize Airbnb in a lot of unique and interesting ways to be a host, whether you own your own property and you're investing like Ziana and I, or maybe even if you don't own your own property. If you're interested in Airbnb and you like what we talked about here, you're going to love part two. That's where we're going to dive into the nitty gritty of Airbnb and talk about what it's like to optimize a listing, what platforms you should be on other than Airbnb. We're going to talk about how you can make your listing stand out so that you get booked more. So if you're someone who's interested, if you, whether you have an Airbnb property or you're just listening to this, part and you said, hey, that's pretty cool. I might 
consider doing this in the future, we are going to give you some very, very actionable advice in part two, including Ziana ripping into my listings and telling me how I could make my listings better and who doesn't want to hear that. That will be coming out next week, however you're listening to this podcast. You can find part two with Ziana that's going to drop December 4th, 2018, so you can get that. Make sure you check it out if you're interested in this whole idea of Airbnb to make you money from a home that you have and own, maybe a home that you just rent out. Also, don't forget, guys, if you're looking for the best travel backpack, tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off your order. Also, best travel clothing out there, bluffworks.com. Use the promo code, same one. Keep it super easy for you. Use EPOP. That'll get you 10% off any non-sale item. Lastly, if you're interested in location independent, Ziana and I talked a bit about this. She talked about how Airbnb was able to facilitate her leading a location independent lifestyle. We've got a community of people who are doing just that. You could check it out. Hop on the email newsletter list by going to locationindie.com. When you get on the newsletter, we'll give you a bunch of cool free resources. We'll also let you know when we open up the community for membership again, because it only opens a few times a year. So check that out, locationindie.com. And of course, you could download our new app that gets you the cheapest flights that go all over the world, domestic and international. You can get that by going to letsjetto.com or just searching Jetto, J-E-T-T-O on the App Store or the Google Play Store. Totally free to download. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you next week. And of course, thank you for the continued support that makes us the number one rated travel podcast in the world. And until next time, Happy free travels.